0: Hey all! Welcome to the Uptime Wind Energy podcast. We have three items on the docket. Rosemary talked a lot, and so we had to just condense everything. And but that's very good. In fact, we got in a very. She was in a very combative move today. I, I have to say, so she was ready to go, all fired up. First topic is Arones, Arone's Latvia, getting nine million dollars in funding, and we, and we try to connect that funding to what the future marketplace is. And we think there's huge upsides for them.
1: And then I get on my high horse a little bit about ways to fuel and <laughs> to what extent that can be called green, or maybe, maybe it's more towards greenwashing.
2: So GE renamed themselves GE Vernova on the energy side, so renewables and the rest of their energy portfolio. And we're gonna put on our marketing hats and talk about that for a little while.
0: Stay tuned. It's a good episode, everybody. We'll be back right after the music. Well, funding news this week, guys. Arons up in Latvia received $9 million in investment funding and I, I bring this up because usually these investment pieces don't make a lot of news. But the company that one of the companies that invested in Arons decided to write up a really detailed loan article as to why they invested in a company in Latvia. And it was it was a little bit a different perspective on the wind energy community in terms of potential now, potential growth, why they think uh, there's going to be significant changes over the next couple of years. And why other companies are not getting invested I mean, invested into in terms of wind companies. You don't see a lot of investment in wind companies. The, the earlier one this year was Sky Specs, which is 80 million. Arones is nine. But after that, it gets pretty quiet. So the, the funding company was Future Positive Capital. Uh, they led the round with a couple of companies you probably recognize, Rosemary. Uh, Change Ventures, sorry, Change Ventures, uh, Skype founder Jan Tallinn, uh, Vented co-founder Amantus Mikukas, Quintify CEO uh, James Bertigans, and then Pace Ventures and Summit and Capitalia. So there's a, a, names that I recognize in that list. So they all invested in Arons as a potential growth company. And the, uh, the reason they did was interesting. It said... In late 2000s, the North America wind fleet was already averaged seven years old, and it was expected to be 11 years old by 2025. So they're seeing this aging wind turbine market, and Europe has pretty much the same difficulty, where more than a quarter of the wind turbine is going to be more than 15 years old as of 2020. So they have older wind turbines out in service, and they need to keep them running, and maintenance costs... Uh, increased roughly 15% in years 10 through 15. And Joel, I think you've seen this too on wind turbines. When they get past year 10, they're just really in trouble. (laughs) It takes a lot of energy just to keep the turbines running. So the the investment was based upon those numbers of, hey, we see a lot of wind turbines getting older. Hey, we know that a lot of maintenance has to be done on years 10 to 15, and, and all those wind turbines are hitting into that repair suite market. And they think that the global maintenance market is expected to double. Over the next ten years, from roughly thirty billion today to a sixty billion dollar market, if that's the case, it seems like that's a pretty strong growth market. It's probably not Silicon Valley money or SaaS startup of some sort, but it's it's getting into that realm of really fast growing companies. And with the economic downturn, I kind of wonder if wind and wind repair companies are going to be some of the faster growing companies in the states, or if not the world, and Joel, you're probably a lot closer. That you, I know you are. You're a lot closer to this than I am. Is that what you're seeing too? That there'll just be a lot more emphasis on repair and maintaining what's already out in the field?
2: Yeah, I think in you know up until about 2013, 14, 15 in the U.S., they treated blades as a they they weren't a repair item, right? They weren't even on the list. It was oh, and then all of a sudden, you had all these. Oh man, we really got to work on these blades. Um, so now you've had eight years of uh, of an industry catching up to that. Um, but I think the, one of the things that makes it easy to understand from an investment standpoint for the people investing in Aronis, first off, I think they got to steal. I think that Aronis is going to do great. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's an, it's an easy market to, um, to validate because you know, I know today, I can tell you there's 71,000 turbines in the United States. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to understand your, your target markets, the value, right. <laughs> how much yeah. cost is going into them. It, it, it doesn't get a whole lot uh, better than that. There's a, there's a finite market um but the problem being in the u.s is, is sky specs has showed you the same thing with the, the explosive growth of their drone platforms and the money they got uh it's hard to get technicians to go work on these things not the the expertise isn't there the bodies aren't there the uh, the ability to bring people into that market i mean because think about if you're this is these are guys are mostly all working on blades now Ronus does some LPS system checks, they do some cleaning, they do so, but it's mostly what would be done by either platform access or rope access technicians. And if you can maybe run two of these robots from the ground with two people, you don't have to have people that are highly trained to be on ropes because that's one thing. And then you right. have to combine that with the ability, if these things are doing repairs or leading edge work or whatnot, uh, then you have to combine that with the ability to, to have composite skills. So your, your work, your possible workforce keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So if these guys can, these, this, you know, there's some up and coming robotics companies out there as well as Blade Bug is out there. Robotics is out there. There's people, there's people getting into the space. If they can nail the quality, um, the commercial portion of it is basically already established. Um, so if it's quality and speed they can get, they will, they will do very well, I think. I think $9 million, they'll, if Aronis is, they'll do $9 million of revenue work next year. Yeah, no I would problem. say
0: so. Yeah. That makes sense to me too. One other aspect is the offshore growth that the investors believe that offshore is going to be big. And again, you, when you talk about finding technicians to do offshore work, you're talking about even a smaller subset than onshore just because of the yeah. skill sets required, mm-hmm. right? And, and so that's going to lead to more robotic work and I think this makes a lot of sense in terms of an investment. I just don't see that going to rope robotics, for example, or Blade Bug. You just don't see those kind of investments. And maybe they are happening. Yeah, why not? Right. Why not? Yeah. If, if the market is that hot and the potential is that hot, you think you'd see a little more activity in terms of that marketplace. And at the same time, I had a discussion with someone talking about blade erosion, which is one of the main killers of blades that uh leading edge erosion is very predictable that was the argument leading edge erosion is very predictable and i was thinking about that over the weekend and saying i don't think that's the case actually i think i think every blade that comes out of the factory is slightly different and leading edge erosion is one of those things that finds those weak spots and not every blade has the same weak spot so you kind of you get this sort of unevenness that happens out in the fields particularly as the blades get older which just leads to sort of a little more Panic, I think, like, oh, this blade's really having trouble, and that turbine over there is, you can wait a year or two. So it just leads to sort of more chaos in the marketplace where a quick fix may be the right solution.
2: Well, I can I can say right now, I know of two, and I know intimately of one, uh, university project or group projects, uh, joint industry ones, that are trying to address exactly that, blade defect forecasting. Yeah. Right. So they're trying to understand if we know all of the ambient weather conditions and we know, you know, it, we're in, we're getting sea spray. We're getting this. say you're an offshore wind farm or you're in West Texas and we know how much particulates in the air and, and we can map out uh, a subset of this, this farm on year one, two, and three. Okay. Then by year five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, we should be able to forecast what they're going to look like. Um, now then you mix in the science and art part of you know right. composites and blades so you I I totally totally agree with your point there but from a general standpoint I think you can get if you could get even from 0% accuracy where we are now kind of going like oh man these these look bad good thing we got an inspection <laughs> um if we can get to the point where we're even accurate to plus minus 20 30% of what that leading edge erosion looks like by forecasting it uh, then we're in a better spot right
0: yeah, I think in an ideal world that would be possible, but Rosemary keeps telling me that the blades are a handcrafted product that there are new two blades that are built the same and I think Rosemary you were the one who was telling me about air pockets in the leading edge and that helping to contribute to uh, some of the leading edge erosion issues plus there's a grinder and a person on every blade trying to smooth them out so they're they're not the same. So is it, no, it does it become the not case the same.
1: But I think you're both right. I mean, they're predictable. it's predictable to a certain extent. and I think with leading edge erosion, it's got really a lot to do with the um the external conditions, you know like the droplet size and the amount of dust that's in the um in the droplets and stuff like that does have a really big effect. Um, and then of course, like it's not like you would be able to look at a blade and say you're going to get leading edge erosion in this square millimeter here and not over Mm -hmm. here that would be a blade by blade sort of thing but i think that um you know what you need to be able to prioritize maintenance in you know one one wind farm over another and maybe even one like row of wind turbines over another row of wind turbines in a wind farm i think all that's going to be quite predictable um and i just want to go back Mm. to the you know that i you you raised about uh, one of the reasons why there's been this um investment in our own um, is because of, you know, offshore emerging and you, you wondered why we don't see the same investment in all kinds of, you, you know, like right I don't know, advanced maintenance. And I think that it's not just that when um, offshore wind is going to get huge and so every single maintenance company is going to do well. I think offshore wind can only get huge if the maintenance technology improves a lot because, you know, maintenance is already a big chunk of the cost for an onshore wind farm. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways <laughs> that's great because it creates heaps of um, high-skilled jobs. But, you know, when you take that same amount of maintenance and you scale it up for the increased size of the turbines offshore and then, you know, like up <laughs> – a whole bunch more, much more significant is the fact that it's offshore in this really hostile environment. It's uh it takes a long time to get to it. And all that salt water. I mean, even building a wind farm that's remotely near any salt water means you get way, way accelerated aging on pretty much everything. Even things you would have no it would you know, your intuition says that salt water shouldn't make any difference, but you know, it does. Um, I think that we need the right maintenance companies to develop the right technologies to actually enable offshore wind to to grow. Otherwise, I see this, you know, like huge ticking time bomb of um, <laughs> of maintenance uh, costs being much much higher than anyone expected. In um, you know, in a few years when the first uh, you know the first surge in offshore wind farms get old enough to start having problems, I think it could be really bad. So. I think it's really important that, um, yeah, investors are looking at which which companies have the right, you know, the right technology, but probably more importantly, the right team to, you know, respond to what are the challenges that we're really seeing and develop technologies to, to help solve them, um, you know, in a cost-effective way. Otherwise, I, I think that it's going to hinder the, the offshore industry. So I think it's like, yeah, it, it, it's two parts of the... Of the puzzle, they need to they need to go together. You can't have you know just this huge <laughs> surge of offshore wind without having a huge surge in wind turbine maintenance technology. You need both together for either of them to
0: work. Well, Rosemary, do you think that Aronis will have to have a robot on every offshore turbine? Do you think, or do you think that's the projection as we go forward? Is that every wind turbine? Well, because of the size and the, and the location, you're not really close to shore. Most of these turbine installations, well, you have to have robot or ro- robots on every turbine platform.
1: Yeah, maybe it will work out that way. I don't know. I, I, I think that that would definitely be a possibility. And if they can get the cost of their robot down enough and, you know, the cost of getting between turbines and the wind farm stays high, then you might see it move towards that. But um, maybe can you explain how how does the Arones system work? Um, because it's not Offshore? it's not just drones, right? You don't just fly no. a robot out to a blade and it you know clings on and and does its thing. Um, um, can you yeah? I might, have might seen be that to explain how it works. Okay, so yeah, there, I mean, there that, are... that's that's a thing as well, but it's not
0: Arones thing, yeah. right? No, it, it's yeah. not. There's a company in the states that's looking at something very similar to that. What Arones has talked about in some recent webinars that I been sitting in on is basically a a, a gantry. Is that the right word, Joel? It it, it grabs hold of the turbine tower and it's got this like gantry thing to it Mm -hmm. that reaches out to the blade. It looks
2: like a, uh, yeah, if you're, if anybody in the wind industry, if you're familiar with field operations, it looks like what a 360 degree platform looks like onshore. Where the tower's the legs kind of go against the tower and then the platform can go up with it. Because the Ronus onshore, when you or a when you when you see the robots, they have all these guy wires and stuff coming out. Like, well, right. we don't have the ability to do that when you're you have to either work off the transition piece, work off of a an ample man platform from an SOV or something of the sort, or have something like that 360 year platform-ish looking thing that basically puts wheels on the tower, slings up to the cell and then pulls up. I think that the the slam dunk rosemary and what you, exactly what you're saying is uh, the cost like if you're on an SOV if you, have to, if you need an SOV to deploy this robot versus a CTV or something else, you're 25, 30 40 50 75 thousand dollars a day just for the vessel. Wow now I, I know I know of one um, I can't remember if they're an OEM but it was someone that holds a, uh, an FSA so either the OEM or whoever the full service uh, contractor is. They recently did this big cost study. it was in German waters. That they decided that it was more cost effective to mobilize technicians to work on turbines offshore with a helicopter than it was with an SOV. Wow. So they've started taking taking them to the top of the nacelle with a helicopter versus using an SOV for for everything because it's just cheaper. Gosh.
0: So they're physically dropping them off of a of repelling line onto the nacelle? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's mm-hmm. crazy. I have not heard that. It makes sense to me mm-hmm. because it would be less money. And probably, as long as the I'd weather's not bad, you probably do I it. I think
1: that sounds really fun. No,
0: no, no, you wouldn't. I mean, from, I've never from, been in a helicopter before. Uh, <laughs> It's not a lot
2: to write home about. Uh, that way. <laughs> I've, never, I've never hung underneath one, I can tell you that. Don't you think no. that would be a super nah, fun you know, it, job it, it, to
1: fly around in helicopters no. and rappel no. off them to uh, grab onto wind turbine blades? I mean,
0: no. that's a good job. No,
1: They'll have people lining up for that, and I bet it pays really well. I,
0: too. I, I, I don't <laughs> think you understand what the word good means right now, because that is the opposite
2: <laughs> of good. <laughs> you know no, helicopters right. I mean, are not meant right. to when fly I, <laughs> when i climb when you winter, go winter summer it's opposite it's opposite, <laughs> it's opposite <laughs> right
0: it's south of you know, the in hemisphere right it just everything's backwards it's, it must be something in the translation yeah. with electrons go north right because that does not sound fun to anybody <laughs> unless unless you're what? like a you know an Ar- army ranger and you're dropping out of helicopters or marine or somebody that, no
1: that's, that's just because you just, guys are the those lame office engineers that everyone likes to complain about. Oh, oh, oh. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> get on site and get your hands dirty. <laughs> well, okay. I got my hands plenty dirty, but I know where my limits no, are. I don't it. like falling into the ocean from 200 meters <laughs> up. That does not sound like fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I do get what you mean because I like. I, I mean, I I went to a lot of effort to be trained and be able to climb wind turbines and the first day of any trip that i do i'm like this is the best thing ever my job's the best i've got to get out and climb wind turbines more but like by the fifth day of the visit you're like oh my harness is so heavy it's so hard to move around (laughs) and you know like you're up there all day and (laughs) you can't like you can't go to the toilet and it's you know like it's just it, it does become a bit of a grind so maybe the first couple of helicopter trips i mean the training for the helicopter repair job would certainly be fun. Um and then the first the first little while would be really cool and then it would probably be very tiring. <laughs> very tiring job. Yeah. I've wa-
2: <laughs> I've watched two people I've watched two people completely lose it during helicopter, like Bosey at Hewitt training. Like yeah. flip flip the helicopter fuselage over in the pool, sink it in, you gotta find your way out. I've watched yeah, people yeah. lose their minds in that and have to get rescued. I had someone um,
1: lose their mind in a confined space training that I did where we were crawling through these smoky tunnels um, with oxygen tanks strapped to our back. And this one guy yeah, like freaked out and actually managed to crawl over me in this tunnel that's barely bigger than a human on all fours. He actually managed to crawl over me and get out. And when I I talked to him later, he didn't remember that he had done that. He was just so so um wow. so panicked that yeah so he um he was exempt from the rest of the of the training <laughs> you yeah, know i i love all that stuff that's that's uh, a fail I, I love it when i get to fail. do the training <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that's that doesn't sound very yeah it doesn't sound like something i want to sign up for uh, but yeah. yeah this maybe this is why the investors in around us think that this is going to be a huge marketplace and Give, Joel, give me, give, so. me well, give me a rough number. Give me a rough number you think uh, a wind turbine operator would pay for a robot per turbine. Five grand, ten grand, fifty grand?
2: It depends on what everything you're getting done, right? If you're somewhere where, st- statu- like, like, I think about the German market because right. they have, st- uh, st- I'm saying statutorily, either way. They're the only place I know that has, you have to test your lightning protection system every year, right? France By law.
0: Too. I think France does every other year. Okay. Yeah. So
2: France is, th- yeah. And France, France is a little bit more lenient, but it, ger- the mm. Germany, ha- Germans have to do it. So I could see robots for certain things per wind farm, like on, onshore, because you're them with a pickup truck. It's pretty simple. Right. Um, but if you, if you put to- put together the O and M cost, I mean, it's a pretty easy ROI study. If, if the, uh. If a says we can redo your leading edge for 10 grand per turbine and we'll also test your lightning protection system and with the same robot and just change out some, I don't know if that's exactly how their system works. Yeah, but it's you a little change switch out connect.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a transformer. <laughs> and right. do, 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 change some tools out. I could see a an 80 an eighty wind, eighty wind turbine wind farm uh, owning one of these um, and taking oh, on I'm some sure, training yeah. and being able to... Sure. Yeah, and being able to take on some of these uh, O and M activities with their own people rather than having to bring in subcontractors and pay travel and MOB, MOB, all this other stuff that adds up. So I could, if you can take, um, you know, if you have a big blade campaign, you could be anywhere from three hundred to a million dollars over a season. You could probably buy one of these robots for cheaper than that, and yep. then have them do it every year. With some maintenance. Yeah, so, that would
0: make sense offshore. I mean if, that,
2: if that's a business if that's a yeah, if that's a business model it's possible.
0: And offshore if you got 12 15 megawatt turbines say you got 100 of them off the coast of New York. Mm-hmm. You think that you think that this case makes sense that so you think it's I, 100 grand per robot and all in?
2: I see it resident. I see it as resident. If you have an SOV like if you so we'll take take a take the like Princess Amelia wind farm of the Netherlands. There's there's a section of those that are so there's five of them right in a row right, right. there, right? Yep. Yep. And so, they have, SO S, they have SOVs that are on permanent hire. They have a contract through 2034. Well, they should be buying one of these robots and and putting people on the SOV that can run it or training people on the SOV that can run it and having it out there at all times. Because then if they have some slack time, some downtime, you want to do a little work at night, oh, you, sure. you have the ability to have the asset there. Right, instead of mobilizing people and demobilizing people in kit and all this stuff, just put a 20-foot Connex box on the deck of that SOV that has all the own stuff in it, and then whenever you've got any time, you can go and check an LPS system. You can go and you know clean, clean, do some tower cleaning. You can go and repair a leading edge, whatever you need to do, whatever capabilities they have. But that's what I would do. But I, I don't run the world. So, knowing all
0: those numbers now, what valuation would you put on Aron as, as uh, five years from now? Will it be a hundred million dollar company? Yep. You think so? I I think so too. Weirdly yep. enough, I do.
2: I think, I think it's quicker than that. It may be, I think yeah. Th- three years. Three years. If they can, if they can get, if they can build enough, so they have some capital now. If they can build enough robots fast enough, and if they can train the people up fast enough to run them, because they've proven their, they've proven their technology, they're all over the world trialing it with people and yeah. and, and making things happen. Sure. As long as they can, as long as the quality is there. In, in the deliverables of the product, as long as the robot works well, and it's safe, they've gone through all those things, um, how fast can you build them and how fast right. can you train people to run yeah. them?
0: And, of course, in any sort of financial discussion, do not listen to engineers on podcasts to make investment decisions. <laughs> do your own <laughs> yeah, yeah. research. Yeah,
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Engineers are the worst. The little, S- the little, the little SEC, <laughs> the little star SEC thing. like. <laughs> This is not investment red advice. Light
0: behind me. <laughs> alert! Alert! Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're going to keep following this, and Dinus and, and the and the crew in Latvia have done a really good job to get to this point.
2: I, I want to not miss something as well that Rosemary said uh, five or ten minutes ago. When you invest, you're investing in a team, right? Right. You have a product. You have technology. You have the commercials. You have all these 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 metric things. But the intrinsic that you cannot actually measure is that team and i know alan you've met dennis many times yep. i have as well um everybody that i've ever talked to or dealt with over there they seem like a great team they're hustlers so,
0: um, they're, they're working hard yeah. yeah they really are and they're and yeah. the webinars if everybody gets a chance to watch the webinars they're free they're about a half an hour they're well worth your time just to see what the state of the art is and it's uh mm-hmm. it's good to see and 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 I, you know, these guys had invested $9 million into this company. I'm sure the valuation is probably somewhere in the twenty, thirty dollars range at the moment. So they're going to triple their money maybe in three years. That's not a bad way. It's not a bad investment.
2: Get the latest on wind industry news, business, and technology sent straight to you every week. Sign up for the Uptime Tech Newsletter at weatherguardwind.com slash news.
0: We're talking about waste fuel, which is a, a sort of a Silicon Valley uh, st- startup company that's going to take uh, landfill gases from landfills and also uh, take CO2 from the atmosphere and make uh, uh, electrolyzed hydrogen to create uh, what I guess I'll call e uh or green methanol with to to bio bio-methanol. biomethanol, maybe to to yeah. power ships. Uh, That the the shipping industry needs to find a a renewable fuel because there's a lot of constraints can be placed on them in 2023, and they'll have to slow down the speed of the ships unless they can find some kind of fuel which is quote unquote green. Now, Rosemary's argument is it's all greenwashing, and that may be true. I do not know. But it sounds like Waste Fuel has investors. In fact, uh, Orsted, I think, invested in them. Well, let me give you, let me give you, no, Maersk, sorry, it wasn't Orsted, it was Maersk. Uh, Maersk, uh, Mark Benioff's uh, Ventures, NetJets, which is the big charter jet company, at least in the States, um, and one of the Gettys, Getty's as in Getty Oil, uh, invested in this. So it's not completely off the charts in terms of the technology. These people would tend to do their homework. So, Rosemary, why is it not green? Why is it greenwashing?
1: Well, it depends what, what waste that you're turning into fuel. It, so I've just been yeah. having a quick look at their website and they, they give really no information about what their processes are, which um, to me is a, a red flag and probably means that it's mm-hmm. it's not, you know, um, maybe amongst the best. But they're taking municipal trash um, and agricultural waste and turning that into low-carbon fuels renewable natural gas and green methanol so I mean there's a bunch of ways that you could do that and I don't I haven't seen how they're specifically doing it and some of them are more green than others so if you're taking municipal waste that's not just like one homogeneous product it's full of all sorts of different things Um, if you just burn burn that for example um, you can yeah you can get um, you can get electricity as, as a result from that oh sure but it's not green because most of what you're burning is a fossil fossil fuel origin you know if you're burning plastic then that is um yeah i mean that that's made from oil right. in the in the first yeah. place so you burn that you release the, the co2 um i guess it's possible that they're taking a regular landfill capturing the methane that is the result of um anaerobic um the digestion i'm not sure what the process is going yeah the the normal thing that happens when (laughs) when you have a a landfill is stuff decomposes and releases methane so if they're capturing that then um and doing something with that methane then that's good but i mean yeah landfill gas capture is is not like a silicon valley startup um new technology you know that's something that's been around for ages and is definitely an improvement on um you know just landfilling in the existing way but, yeah, right. anything that they're doing to take um, – yeah, the, if there's it's plastics or, or anything in there, it's of fossil origin. And so, you, you know, like you take um, some fossil origin plastic um, and then turn it into a fuel. You've gone from oil to fuel via a few extra steps – it's still a fossil fuel, you know, at the, at the end of the day. So, I mean, you can, I guess you're relying on the fact that green is this really, really vague term and people don't like landfill. True. And so they'll assume if you have less landfill, that's a green technology. But I mean, to me, when you're talking about green fuels, what you're talking about is less climate impact. That That's the meaningful part of that to me. And it's, it's not going to be um, less climate impact it's gonna be worse for the climate because you're taking something that would have stayed underground in in the landfill you know while you've got plastic in landfill it's not decomposing and putting co2 into the the atmosphere the plastic just stays there i mean that's one thing people hate about it um yeah so if you burn that or or it, release its carbon into the atmosphere in any way, then that is going to be, you, you know, like a climate, there's going to be a climate impact from that. It's going to have greenhouse um, gas emissions. Sure. And so from that point of view, it's it's not it's not green. I mean, maybe it's green compared to if you um, assume that you're only displacing fossil fuels, um, fossil, yeah, when you you got this new, new one, but if you compare it to actual, renewable resources it's um it's worse for the the climate so that's why i say it's greenwashing so
0: so if they took uh the hydrogen that we were creating from wind turbines that are offshore on the coast of california when that happens and then pulling co2 from smokestacks somehow and combining those two to make methanol or biofuel is that is that not greenwashing i'm trying to understand where the line is here
1: well, I mean that um, if the hydrogen comes from a renewable resource and whatever um, power that you use to extract the CO2 from wherever you're extracting it, if that was renewable as well, then right. uh, I think yeah that that I don't think that that's greenwashing. I think that that's a you know expensive way of resource-intensive way to get uh, an end result, but I don't think it's greenwashing. No. What's
0: I mean, just, just what's little- less no, I, 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 that's a good input. Yeah. What's what's less intensive? What's less energy intensive than making methanol? Because it seems like there's this really concerted effort to do hydrogen, but then there's a lot of negatives about hydrogen, of which you've informed me about. Like the hydrogen getting into the upper atmosphere is very bad for the climate. We don't want to do that. Uh, so if we're not going to do hydrogen, and because of the difficulty using it, it's going to be really cold, all these different problems with it. Seems like methanol is something we made for hundreds of years, and we know how that process works. And maybe there's an, it's expensive to create, but if we're going to put these artificial barriers, I'll call them in, in terms of shipping fuels and aviation fuels and other uh, you know, petroleum-based modes of transportation, what else are you going to do? It seems like you're all, you're all of a sudden you're, you're funneled down into some sort of renewable methanol. Yeah, Isn't I mean, if you the need methanol, really the then...
1: If you need methanol, um, then, yeah, the, you know, there's certain green green ways to make it and that's fine. But the issue where I would say it's more resource intensive than it needs to be is if you're using methanol for something that you could just directly electrify. It's the same issues with hydrogen, you know. It takes a lot of energy yeah. to make it and then release the energy again. So it's only um, when you're comparing things that could be electrified that people, you, you know, like it's like, um, you know, that saying when all you've got is uh, – when you're the only tool you've got, a, you've got is a hammer, then everything starts to look like a nail. And I think that yeah. um, hydrogen and um, you know even green methanol and ammonia are a bit like that. People are really scrambling. They're like, oh, I see the potential of this. Now they're scrambling to find things to to do with it instead of looking the right. other way around. Oh, we've got a problem that we need to solve. What's the best way? And you know, it, you that will be electrification if if it's possible to electrify something. Then that that will be the more efficient um, and ultimately cheaper way to do it. But you can't electrify mm-hmm. everything, and a lot of the things that they're planning to do with with methanol are things that are not easily electrified. And so, right. in that case, yes, go Ships. down that path, Ships. make it green methanol, and that's great. Airplanes, um, as long as you don't start yeah. looking for extra things to do with your <laughs> your methanol or your your green hydrogen <laughs> now that you should have done, because you know, like if you um, you take example of a fuel cell. Uh, electric vehicle that runs on hydrogen, and you compare that to an electric car, um, you know, the number of extra steps that you need to, you need to get the fuel cell car working, you need to first of all, generate the green electricity to drive the, right. um, the electrolyzer, which needs to make the hydrogen. And then you need to, um, get it to where you want to use it. So you're going to have to compress it, maybe liquefy it, transport And at the end of all of that stuff and then, you know, back into your fuel cell to convert it back into electricity to drive the car, you end up using – needing three times as much green electricity as if you just, you know, connected that wind turbine into the grid and then into the, you know, power socket that charged your electric car. So. You know that's what I mean about um, yeah. If you can directly electrify it, then no one wants to see three times as many wind turbines as, <laughs> as the minimum number necessary. Y- you know, um, even me and I, I love <laughs> love wind turbines, but I want the you know the number that we need, not three times <laughs> that that number, because we chose to go by a hydrogen. So that's the point that I'm trying to make.
2: So, quick question for you on that, Rosemary. If you have uh, say uh, two liter, ten liters of space. 10 liters of compressed hydrogen or 10 liters of uh, battery pack, what is this, what's the smarter way to do it then? Because I believe that the 10 liters of hydrogen power will get you a lot further than the 10 liters of space of battery power. And, and why it comes to my head is I know a company up in Canada, actually off the, uh, the West Coast, that developed a hydrogen fuel cell for a subsurface um, AUV. And when they had it on batteries, they could get like a 1,000 kilometers of range out of it. They put the hydro or the hydrogen battery in there, and now they can get almost 4,000 kilometers of range out of it.
1: Um, Yeah, so I I don't know that exact comparison. I tried to quickly search it but couldn't find it. So hydrogen has a really great gravimetric um, energy density. So per kilogram of, of mass, there's heaps of energy in hydrogen. Definitely compared Mm. to batteries, but even compared to other traditional fuels, it it goes really well by weight, but it has a really bad volumetric energy density. Um, It's a, you know, it's a very, very low density gas and it's the smallest um, molecule, right? So in its natural state, it takes up a lot of space to get the same amount of energy. And I I don't know what comes out in front in volumetric density, energy density between batteries and hydrogen but i don't i don't think it's hydrogen um yeah i mean hydrogen just takes up a lot of space and if you want it to take up less space then you have to cool it i think it's um boiling points like minus 253 degrees or something something like right. that like pretty pretty close to absolute zero actually and so the amount of energy that you have to keep you know keeping something at that temperature if it raises above that then it boils off and i mean even at that temperature it's still you still going to get some boil off so um, you, you're not going to be transporting it around in liquid form a lot. It is like, that's why when you see these, you know, concept um, aeroplanes, uh, hydrogen powered aeroplanes, they've all got these gnarly, <laughs> gnarly shapes because they've got to fit all that hydrogen somewhere um, volumetrically, even though it doesn't add a lot of, right. of mass compared to a traditionally fueled aeroplane. Um, it certainly adds, adds space. So yeah, it, there's not so the use, some applications use just don't case care about then. space um, at all. Like you know, if you've just got yeah. a big cavern and you want to store energy, you probably don't care how much space the hydrogen takes up. Um, yeah, but sometimes you do.
2: Yeah, and I'd have to I'd have to look, but I think that they were this this concept was using or not concept this practice was using liquid hydrogen, but it makes sense because this thing is goes down to 3,000 meters of ocean depth temperature is one degree c so it's a lot easier right. to cool it i mean of course it has to get a lot colder but it's a lot easier to cool it there than it is at 80 degrees out in the sunshine
1: yeah but it's only you know 20 degrees kelvin difference out of 250 yeah. like it's not probably that big a deal actually yeah, yeah. i mean it's easy yeah. um
2: yeah
1: <laughs> it's it's tricky when you're dealing with temperatures and i mean i guess you've got different challenges in the u.s with using fahrenheit but Um, that's one problem that I see people making mistake people making over and over again is you know you've got something at five degrees celsius and then you've got something at 10 degrees celsius oh it's twice as hot and you're like well no it's it's not you can't if you if you want to talk about temperature in that way in terms of it you know percentage differences or you know like what's a safety margin for a temperature 10 percent um so you know if it's operating this is design temperature is 20 degrees or 10 percent is from 18 to um 22 I mean that, that doesn't make any sense and you can see that when you, if you converted that to Fahrenheit, then um, y- you would yeah. not have your ten percent anymore. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure that it's actually going to be that that different. Like I think 20, 20 degrees difference might be a, a rounding error um, when you look at the <laughs> the energy that is required. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, you know, yeah, all the yeah, pressure. Yeah, the pressure would probably help um, because you know, yeah, obviously, mm-hmm. pressure, temperature, yeah, really pressure. Um, density sure. are all related.
0: Yeah. P V equals N R T.
1: Yeah, that's, like that's
0: one, one formula yep. I
1: remember from high school.
0: <laughs> one is that the one you wrote down. Yeah, oh, oh there's, no, there's it, it a, seems... it's
1: like one like that for every field, you know. It's the same with my like electrical <laughs> yes, engineering. It's like oh, V equals vehicles equals I V. There you go. So you See? Can get a lo- You can get a long way it's with sticky. those key key um, formula that you that you can that you know sticking that one one. Equation that sticks in your mind from every course that you did at high school. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So the the thing about all this, Rosemary and Joel, is that I I sometimes when I'm watching the new technology, particularly hydrogen, I think you realize all that went into the existing architecture and and systems that you have right now, and we're just going to like put that all in the dumpster. That's not the way industry grows. And I, I try to relate it to Automobile racing? You know, if you watch automobile racing like in the 60s and 70s, if you go back on YouTube and watch these races, there's limitations, right? It's Maybe the cars could have gone faster if the tires were better, but the tires weren't better. Or the cars could have gone faster if the aerodynamics were better, but the aerodynamics weren't better. That's just where they were at that time. And if they had the knowledge and the, all the the tire manufacturers all spooled up to do high, much better tire grip and aerodynamics is spooled up and the oils are all different today than they were back then. There's just so many different facets that you have to squeeze out that last five, 10% of efficiency from, or just not there. So at some point you just brute force it. I think it's kind of where we're at right now. Where we're saying maybe you need three times the amount of energy to create the E-methanol. Okay. But that's where you are today. It doesn't mean you're going to be there five years from now. Is, isn't but that a there are sort of a scene approach?
1: limits though. Like you can't. Sure, double the efficiency of of um of some of these processes. There's like oh, no, minimal. no, no, no. I mean, I'm not a chemist, but yeah, <laughs> there there right. are minimum amounts of energy that you need to take. You know, to do a chemical reaction, sure. regardless of you get rid of every inefficiency, you still don't get anything sure. for free. That's just yeah, the laws of of thermodynamics. And, no, it, um,
0: yeah, but the laws of economics don't play out that way, right? I mean, there's a lot of there's engineering laws. Totally agree, but the economic laws, which is where everything makes a difference, do change. And I'll give you the example. We never thought about making 15 megawatt turbines 10 years ago. That was not a thing. And now we can make 25 megawatt turbines. So if we did start putting in California instead of 10 megawatt turbines, you put 25 megawatt turbines out there, to, then and the economics s- scale that way and then costs get reduced, then maybe it makes a sense to electrolyze hydrogen. And also, to yeah, but the a, difference water. that so is, California had some water.
1: The difference is that if yeah. you've got something else to do with that electricity, it's all it's also got that same um, improvement in economics. So the relative difference between yeah. the hydrogen versus electrification hasn't changed that much. Um, it will change a bit because you know yeah. electrolyzers. We haven't made as many um, electrolyzers as we have made, um, you know, wind turbines and what whatever. So there's bigger gains plants. to be. To be made there, yeah, methanol plants. I mean, these aren't brand we new technologies. Make but I will, look ex- yeah, right. no, they're not. They're not new technologies, so they're not like right at the start of their cost reduction um, curve. But no, they not. Still have you know the cost reductions go with the the doubling of um of volumes produced, and so if we suddenly start making a lot more, you'll still see the costs reduce. Um, to but we've also put extent.
0: artificial barriers in there too, right? The artificial barriers you're gonna you have to either reduce the CO2 emissions coming off of your Maersk ship or you have to slow down, which is going to cost Mer- hundreds of millions of dollars. So just round it out. So at that point, with these artificial barriers put in place, then it may make sense to own a couple wind turbines. Am I too far off in left field here? It just no. seems like there's this is where it's right. going to When, go. you're, when no.
1: you're talking about industries that aren't easily elected, dil- Sorry, when you're talking about applications that aren't easily electrified, then then yes, you're right. you're right, definitely. Um, so I think that we're not really arguing against each other. We're arguing different different ends of the spectrum. So you know, if you look at things that are easy to do with electricity, um, then it gets gradually harder and harder and harder until it's like impossible to do it with electricity. Um, you right. know, I think no one would argue that the like easiest electrification application. Uh, applications should be electric and that the impossible ones shouldn't be. But there's, you know, some point in between and anybody who's got um, a methanol company or, you know, yeah, a waste of fuel company or a, a hydrogen company wants to push that point further towards, you know, find more and more and more oh, things sure. that they could do with with hydrogen. And it sounds really appealing um, to people who aren't like really involved in the in the details because it sounds very simple, you know, hydrogen economy or, you know, meth- methanol economy, whatever, you know, one. Yes, one, one technology to solve everything. Um but, yeah, the further that you go away from, you know, the niche applications that are well suited to it towards things that you could do in a more efficient way, the more the more energy we waste and the more wind turbines and solar farms that we, we have to put in and the more cost we have to wear as well. So you have to get that right balance.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that you have to see the support from the outside market as well. So it's one thing to make the fuel. That's what we're basically talking about here, right? right? But it's also another one to say like, okay, so back in May, Cummins, America, debuted a 15-liter internal combustion engine that runs on hydrogen. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. They that
0: happened, won't right? hit
2: full production until like 20, 2027 or something. It's it's It actually went well, I guess. Yeah. 200 and, or 300 horsepower, 800 foot-pounds of torque, and it, it runs – It runs well. But sales. Um, But they're not going to hit. Well, and that's, I I don't think they're going to start a regular sales cycle until, they said full production 2027. So they still got some kinks to work out in it. But you have to have adoption, you know, by the markets and everything. But it's when you have players like that starting to develop um, directly usable components, right? Like the electric cars when they first came out, like I know the first ones in the U.S., um, they looked kind of weird. And it was harder for people to try to take on something different that was that that was that different. Yeah. And then the next generations of them started of looking more like a regular car. You just didn't have openings in the front for a radiator, um, <laughs> so they look a little bit the same. And that's why I think like the Ford F-150 electric vehicle got was soaked up so fast. You can't get one. Like you can't get one. Um, and if it looked if it looked odd, like I think the Cybertruck thing like looks odd. It's an electric vehicle, electric truck. It's going to be a different. It's harder to get, right? So, Or harder yeah. to get acceptance into the general market. So if you have this, like, if Cummins starts building a hydrogen motor that doesn't make it that much different of a, like, if it goes into, a, you know, like, light-duty, medium-duty trucks or something, uh, where it's not a, just that shock value, it might be easier to start rolling into some of these things. As
0: long as they have hydrogen available in the middle of nowhere when they're using it. That's the thing. In Alaska, yeah. what are you going to do? Or in, in Australia, the middle of yeah. Australia. this.
2: Yeah, we're... We're going on a 2700-mile road trip tomorrow. <laughs> if I had an, you know, if I was trying to drive my truck and pull a pull a trailer with an electric vehicle, I have to stop. No, I read no. an article the other day every 100 miles of, with a Rivian they had to stop on a cross-country trip. Yeah. And I'm all for electric vehicles, but that's not practical right now in the US. I can't I can't drive cross-country with my truck and a trailer. Lightning is an act of God, but lightning damage is not actually is very predictable and very preventable. Strike Tape is a lightning protection system upgrade for wind turbines made by WeatherGuard. It dramatically improves the effectiveness of the
0: factory LPS so you can stop worrying about lightning damage. Visit weatherguardwind.com
2: to learn more, read a case study, and schedule a call today.
0: So Rosemary has some very big news this week, and I'm not sure if she wants to announce it to the world, but she reached... 2 million viewers on YouTube this week, which is an astounding, astounding. Feat. It's like Mr. Beast and Rosemary. Those, those are the two. That's kind of how the ranking goes right now. <laughs> who's that who's that guy that does all the boxing, Joel? That's on that annoying guy. It's on podcast. That guy too. Oh yeah. One of the Paul brothers. Oh yeah. No. Somewhere Get that in- guy out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Rosemary's up in that level, that stratosphere, which is very good. That's exciting. Ro-
2: yeah. Rosemary and Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, thanks. thanks, Alan. I wasn't sure where you were going with that. I am like, what, what what secret are you about to out to the, <laughs> the podcast listening universe? <laughs> but yeah, I know I was looking at my I YouTube okay, right? and that. That little notification popped up. It was very exciting. <laughs> Ooh.
0: That's super. Fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like a lot. That's cool. So the big announcement came out today, and everybody's listening to this about a week later, but the big announcement today was GE is splitting into three parts, obviously, and each of those new divisions have to give themselves a name. GE Aerospace decided to call themselves GE Aerospace. Okay. GE Healthcare decided to name themselves... GE Healthcare. Again, pretty logical. GE Renewable and GE Power, I guess maybe there's two pieces there, are naming themselves GE Vernova. I I guess it's an amalgamation or a conjunction of the word Spanish word for green and the Latin word for new. So it's like green new new green. So it will be called GE Vernova. And, I, and we've commented so many times about how GE has great names for the wind turbines. Halliade, X, right? Uh, the Sierra. Uh, Joel, what's the other one? Cypress, right?
2: Cypress.
0: Cypress, sure. Yeah. Those are great names for wind turbines, but I'm not sure Vernova fits in that top five for me. Rosemary. I got to think of
2: what <laughs> what it's like to be an employee at GE. <laughs> Where if you, if you had some nice polo shirts, because it seems like every six months or so, they're rebranding, they're joining two divisions, they're splitting yeah. another division off, they're putting another. So to keep track of it um, would be tough. What does what your email signature look like today? I don't know. I got a new one on Monday and a new one on Thursday. That's what I feel like it would be like. <laughs>
0: It's, it is like that when we worked, when I used to work for GE, same same feeling. We were sold to Martin Marietta, which then became Lockheed Martin. So we're constantly throwing out notepads and rulers and all the branded stuff <laughs> and, and to get new ones in. It's like, this is such a waste. Why can't I use this old GE notepads? Well, it's no longer GE. We feel like it was not staying in brand. So, yeah, I, I guess all your classic GE Power, G Renewable stuff is now... Uh, is a uh, instantly eBay item? I mean, would you run down to the pawn shop and <laughs> and sell it because it's a you think, know,
2: legacy item?
1: Did you have those? I think
2: no matter how they
1: did you have those online trainings when you were there? Because that's what yes. it would mean for, for me is like, oh, now I'm going to have a dozen new online trainings in my queue. And I was always <laughs> late with them. And every time we'd have a team meeting, it'd be like, oh, Rosemary, you have 37 trainings <laughs> out of date. And you'd be like, oh, this is so boring. <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah. But I don't know about well, this new name. I think it- uh, yeah. So uh, did you read that somewhere? Oh, yeah. No, they are saying that read, it is yeah. Um, yeah, from They put from it on Green. YouTube. Green and new. because so I was going to say maybe they couldn't call it GE Renewables because it incorporates all their, you know, fossil fuel energy as well, right? It's, it's all energy, not yeah, just the renewables. Sure. Um, but, yeah, gas turbines, uh, uh, yeah, whatever other kinds of energy that they've got that aren't renewable that you couldn't really – possibly describe them as green or or new either so yeah i think i have to just come down on on the side of don't don't like the new name but i guess i'll get used to it well or maybe i won't maybe they'll change it again in three months
2: <laughs> yeah. i think it's it's like it this, this is like if you tried to rename nike into something or like google where they have like yeah. 40 different companies all have different names no matter what it is it's going to be ge sorry it'll always call, be ge just call yourself ge who do you work for ge ge okay that's what it's going yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it I mean, to be. Same with Facebook. does
1: anybody call it Meta? I mean, I just call it Facebook and Facebook yeah, group of companies. That's what when I'm <laughs> when I'm complaining
2: yeah, about
0: yeah. it. Is that is that what you yeah. really call it, Rosemary? Or what do you really call? <laughs> <Yeah>. it?
1: <laughs> there might be some extra adjectives, but the f- in Facebook general, companies <laughs> definitely <laughs> Facebook or or directly just attribute it to Zuckerberg. Anything evil that they did. <laughs> that's
0: what I'm saying. Yeah. So I thought that GE had an offer, GE vernova i had to keep looking at that ge vernova you had an opportunity to make something really cool you know this is the time this is the one shot in the next hundred years where you could do something really cool and get away with it because what would you hey, what e. that e. gonna do to you <laughs> i don't i don't know i mean i was thinking like ge kick-ass or ge you know <laughs> we're, uh, we're the best or s- something you know ge <laughs> Supers, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like you got an opportunity. Like it, may, <laughs> it seems like maybe you should have asked around instead of asking a marketing group because it feels like a marketing group came up with it and started, you know, what they do. They start joining odd words together to make up these names. And I think there's just a better way in my book. I think you want to make it really stand out. And it just seems like I do but just uh, doesn't really say Edison, maybe. There's, there, there seems like there's something in the history that they could have pulled out and called it something cool, because they they are the best naming company for wind turbines, and they and they do such a great job with that part of it. I thought that would be something really interesting here, but...
1: Maybe Nothing. it doesn't matter what a bunch of engineers nope. think. Maybe that's the point. They're trying to make it appeal to yeah. But we have
0: to regular wear, people. Not, we don't. Not, we we don't work like in us. marketing. <laughs> There's a reason we don't yeah. work in marketing.
2: Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Well, we have to. Yeah.
0: We have to wear all the swag when you know the company picnic comes out and they hand you all sure. the the. Plus, you have to wear the name tag thing. It's on your name tag all the time. It's going to be on your t-shirts. It's going to be on. Every day you're going to see that. Uh, thousand times a day it just seems like they just lost and went by an opportunity but it may work out great i I hope i wish them the best obviously i used to be a ge employee and rosemary did too i hope ge goes forever i think there's just a lot of history there
2: i'd hate i'd hate to lose that ge forever
0: ge forever forever power it should have had power in it (laughs) It should have had power in it. Even if Rosemary gets upset because they're burning oil or natural gas, it doesn't matter.
1: Call it what GE it is. Power. And I don't GE
0: power, GE electricity. Have with,
1: yeah. with gas turbines as a supporting technology for the energy transition.
0: So, yeah. No. GE dinosaur burners, something like that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they they had a chance. They just didn't take it. And, ah, darn it. <laughs> That's Okay. You know, in terms of investment, which were, which one of the three? Let me ask you. What since we we already put up our SEC alert for the day, do not trust the words mm. investment words of any engineer. GE Power, I'm oh, sorry, not, <laughs> sorry, GE Vernova, GE Aerospace, or GE Healthcare. Which ones is going to come out on top in in five years? Predictions.
1: In terms of growth, I'm
2: I'm, I'm taking yeah yeah.
1: I go healthcare. I'm, I'm going to get in early so I can. for healthcare.
2: I'm gonna go. I'm going fifty percent Vernova, forty percent or thirty percent healthcare, twenty percent aerospace.
0: I just choose all of them. Oh, you think so? (laughs) I I think healthcare is gonna be. I think healthcare is gonna get limited by the government somehow. If if there's a, uh, the federal government had their way, they would crush. People are getting old. People
1: are getting old. All the rich people are getting old, and they have. A lot of money to spend sure. to make it a little bit more pleasant for them. So I wouldn't bet Once against. Once you get healthcare. past this wave,
0: though, it's over, right? And then, and at least in the United States, the baby boomer wave is starting to crust a little bit. With I another... think it may be.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there's a few decades I... left, <laughs> left in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Speak for yourself, Rosemary. Uh, <laughs> we, I think, I think aerospace. Weirdly <laughs> enough, I think aerospace because. They can go a lot of different directions. I think they can go a lot of different directions. I don't, know,
2: I don't know enough about the market.
0: Well, they're talking about making some electric airplanes, and I think they're ready and they're poised to go do that if they're drawn to it. And, and I know they've been working in hydrogen for a little while. I think they can go a lot of different directions. And there's a lot of money to be made in, in aviation. There always has been. If the if the economies are doing okay, you can make a great deal of money in aviation. And you could in power for the longest time, but it's just going to be hard. May, maybe, as we're learning at the moment, it seems very likely that Germany's going to have a hard time getting natural getting natural gas. Like, maybe next week. It, they won't have it. Uh, <laughs> maybe GE Vernova may, may fill that void with a bunch of wind turbines and, and uh, nuclear power plants or whatever else they're going to do. I don't know. It's... It's going to be interesting. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe in the show notes to the Uptime Tech News, our weekly newsletter, and also join Rosemary's very popular YouTube channel, Engineering with Rosemary. And we'll see you here next week on the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast.